0: Welcome to Dissecting Education, where we take a spherical look at the education landscape from many vantage points. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks. Glad you're here with us today. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Dissecting Education. Today, we have a very special and wonderful guest, Andrew Tarvin. He's the CEO of Humor That Works, a leadership development company that teaches professionals how to use humor to achieve better business results. He has partnered with top organizations, including IBM, the UN, and the FBI to solve human challenges with humor solutions. A best-selling author, Andrew has also been featured in the Wall Street Journal and Fast Company and was named a visionary under 40 by the P&G Alumni Network. His TEDx talk on the skill of humor has been viewed more than 9 million times only half of which were his mother. He loves chocolate and tweeting puns. And we're here to talk today about how to bring humor into education and why those things are intertwined or should be.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here, welcome. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be chatting with you. Yeah, so
0: tell us a little bit about you and about um, Humor That Works. Just give us the lay of the land.
1: Oh, certainly. Well, um, so I, yeah, my name is uh, Andrew Tarvin, humor that works, uh, CEO. And I'm also a computer science engineer by training. And that often surprises people. They're like, wait a second, humor and improv plus computer science? How does that actually mix? So the, the, the kind of shortened version of how I got there is I've always been an engineer, got a degree in computer science and engineering from the Ohio State University. Uh, I graduated, started working at Procter & Gamble as a project manager, and it was at P&G that I realized that I couldn't just rely on my tech skills. I couldn't just rely on the fact that I was really good with computers. I had to learn how to be good with humans, uh, which turns out a lot harder to to deal with, I think, at least for me. (laughs) And uh, I didn't have the skill set that I needed to be effective with people, but I had started doing improv and stand-up at university, at Ohio State and started to realize, started to see that some of the same skills you need to be effective as an improviser or a comedian are some of the exact same skills you need to be effective as a leader, as a communicator, as a trainer or educator, um, basically as a human, really.
0: <laughs> I love that. Tell, tell me what you, like uh, connect those dots for us. What are some of those, uh, those synergies between leadership and, and kind of improv and, and humor?
1: Certainly. Well, I I think part of it stems from there's a really dumb question that I'll ask sometimes when I'm presenting or or working with groups. And the dumb question is, you know, would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? And I guess for you, Melanie, which would you rather do fun or not fun?
0: Uh, Fun. Always
1: fun. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And like 99.9% of people say fun. Sometimes people are like, well, is it illegal? Or is it going to cost too much money? But like, yeah, for the most part, people would say fun. And so then it does kind of stand to reason that if you were as a leader to say, make your meetings a little bit more fun, would people be more likely to come to them? Or if as a teacher or educator, if you're to make your classes a little bit more fun, would students be more engaged? Or for your own self, if you're to make your own work a little bit more fun, would you be more willing to do it? And the answer, the research shows us that the answer is, is yes. And so that's part of the application is just this idea of like, oh yeah, if you, as a leader, if you can communicate in a way that people actually wanna listen to what you're talking about, then that's gonna have positive impact. If you have a way of writing emails that people are gonna respond to, then yeah. And that's something that that humor does because you know it's interesting, Jerry Seinfeld said, there's no such thing as an attention span, only boring content. And it's like, okay, if you can then make your content a little bit more enjoyable, people are going to engage with it more. Right, absolutely. You know,
0: it's funny, at my own time in the classroom, uh,
1: I do a
0: lot of um, kind of breaking up the curriculum with like guest speakers or with, um, you know, experiential stuff people can touch, feel, whatever, because I also feel like if you become too routinized in the way that you deliver information people start to just like tune it out and students are no different, obviously. And if you can make it relevant to them and humor is certainly one of the the greatest ways uh, to make stuff relevant, right? And to get everyone in a sense, the energy, right? The energy in the room, if you get people to not take themselves so seriously they can actually absorb and be more vulnerable in talking to you know, talking about challenges, for example. Oh,
1: certainly. And I mean, you, you touched on a, a number of things that I think are, are particularly powerful in that. And, and one is you're right, right? People want relevant information and humor is instant relevance because people like to have fun, right? And you probably see that, like, if you've used humor in the classroom before or with, when talking with a group, people will like, if people then start to laugh, you'll notice other students or other audience members like look up, they'll be like, wait, why did, why did you laugh? I want to have fun too. What did they say? What was so funny? What did I miss? And now I'm going to listen to you because I want to make sure that I laugh as well, right? It's relevant because I know I'm going to enjoy it. And then as you mentioned, I, you know, the idea of like, Hey, sometimes it's a guest speech speaker. Sometimes it's an experiential opportunity, like humor. What we talk about, the reason why I, I talk about it, the company's humor that works and not comedy that works is that we are using this broader definition of humor. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to become a stand-up comedian. It doesn't mean that you have to give the perfect kind of setup and punchline joke and have perfect timing, et cetera. There's a ton of different ways you can incorporate humor into your work, of which comedy is just one of them. And so even having some of that variety of, hey, maybe it's just not my voice they hear all the time, but a guest speaker's voice or a video that we're going to watch or um, uh, you know, a, an exercise that you're going to do, great way to bring in a little bit more of that engagement because it's just something a little bit different and something a little bit more, say, fun than necessarily funny.
0: Right. Absolutely. So how do you convince, you know, I know that from your bio, you've worked with some great companies. How do you convince these kind of straight-laced companies that this is valuable to bring in and to, and to facilitate in this manner?
1: It's a really important question, I think, to cover. And you're right; like, people are oftentimes surprised by our client list because we've worked with groups that you maybe, you know, kind of are like, okay, I guess I could kind of see that. So we've done work with Procter and Gamble and Microsoft and certain different universities as well, of you know, Duke and um, uh, Oxford and stuff like that. And and people are like, okay, yeah, I guess I can kind of see some of that. But then they're surprised by the like, wait, what did you do for the FBI? Or you worked with the United Nations. What were you t- Like, what about the Red Cross? And right. the Red Cross was an interesting one. And it kind of changed my perspective because we were working with a gentleman there at the Red Cross. And he wanted to see if there was a way to add humor to a presentation that he was going to give on uh, disaster preparedness, right? Because he works with like climate change and climate crisis. And uh, he's like, I have to give these presentations. Can I add humor? And I was curious why. And he was like, so if you think about it, And his presentation with what he's communicating, because it's so important, because it like could basically save your life later. He's like, in my circumstances, boredom has very serious consequences. Because like, if you're bored in a classroom, okay, maybe you don't learn how, you don't don't learn Sokotoa that day or something like that. It's hopefully not going to be too much of, maybe (laughs) not not that one day might not be a huge impact. (laughs) Although I did just see a meme recently on math where it is like, you miss one day of math and it feels like you're like, three episodes behind. You're like, we're using letters now instead of numbers? What happened in algebra? Uh, um, right? But it's like, okay, it's, it's probably not going to, it's not going to be a life or death situation of do you, can you calculate this thing? But if you're learning what to do if there is a flood and you're so bored out of your mind that you're not paying attention, then you never gain that information. You're not going to know what to do if there is a flood. And so what we recognize is that just because information is important. It doesn't mean that it's interesting to that person. And if, you're, if what you're communicating is important, then you would use any tool at your disposal to be more effective in delivering that information of which humor happens to be a great one. And so when we're working with those other groups, we kind of talk about the value of it, the research that shows of it, the fact that this isn't about just being seen as a funny speaker, but there's actual benefits in terms of getting people to pay attention, helping them remember things longer, improving their understanding about the material, increasing their likability of the speaker, which will actually increase the, the whether or not they're going to attend a future meeting as well. Like, There's all these kind of benefits that we can point to. And then again, we focus on it again. It's not punchlines. It's here's how to do, here's how to still deliver on your message or your goal or your mission, but in a way that just is a little bit more fun.
0: Yeah. I love that. I, um, have hired a, a uh, as a, I'm a facilitator myself, and I often, I'm not one who uh, enjoys improv, quite honestly, although I did theater all through my childhood, so I have, I've had to do a lot of improv, but I do like to bring in kind of what I consider opening acts for, for kind of a facilitation session that does bring that levity and that um, kind of vulnerability into the mix, because that energy in itself will start, to change the dynamics of the room right from the beginning, and then when mm-hmm. I come in to do maybe the more boring stuff, right? And but still in this experiential way, I like to use sticky notes and get people moving around the room, and uh, I bring in a lot of like construction paper and you know make people touch stuff. But that it always helps when I have the the blessing of being able to bring someone else in to kind of like like I said like the opening act to kind of get everybody out of their out of their comfort zone for a minute, and then what I have to bring is much more relevant. And you're right, the important stuff sometimes is exactly the boring stuff, right? And, mm-hmm. and the stuff we really want them to, to consume, uh, so. Well,
1: and, awesome. and I think you, like, again, that's a great example of recognizing that to effectively use humor in the workplace or in the classroom is you don't always have to be the creator of humor. You can have someone come in or you can share a video that makes a point that you want to make and then debrief from that that video itself. Or you can share one of the things that we'll we'll give tips on of of presenters, even in the uh, corporate world, is use more images in your presentations. Share, you know, a funny picture that you find on Unsplash or on Flickr under a Creative Commons license or whatever. And then you can kind of be like, okay, this picture makes him laugh. And they say, actually, this picture is a great example of blank, right? There's a great, uh, I have a picture that I'll share in some presentations where it is a picture of a sign. And it's basically like it's a, a sign hung up over a roadway. And it's like, if you hit this sign, you will hit that bridge because the sign is the exact kind of height of the bridge. And to me, right. it's like, hey, that's a great example. I can share that picture. It's funny. It's kind of something a little bit different, but I can mm-hmm. say, oh, hey, that's an effective use of humor. Here's this example. Let's debrief this moment. Right. And I didn't create the sign, but I now can kind of debrief it. So you can do that. And that's one of the areas. So it's, it's interesting because you mentioned that idea of bringing in outside facilitators. My brother is a professor at uh, Texas A&M. And um, he now teaches a course called the Rhetoric of Humor, the basically the science of humor and for and, and persuasion. And people are like, "How did you get into that?" And it started because when he was getting his PhD at LSU, I would go to visit him, mostly just to visit, but I would guest teach his classes, and I would teach applied improv to his public speaking courses, nice, and his intercultural communication class and his con- leadership and conflict class. I would find like, okay, here's some applied improv exercises. And at the end of the semester, his feedback forms would almost always say, you know, when they last, like, what did you like? They would say, oh, I love Drew's class. or you're in Drew's class was great. I really love that we did improv. And he was annoyed because he was like, Drew was here for one 50 minute session. I was here for the entire semester. You were here one day. And that's the thing that they remember. And so he was like, it's gotta be, he's like, "It, it, it can't be you. He's like, I've known you for years. It can't be you. It must be what you're doing. So he started to incorporate more humor and improv into his own class. He had always incorporated humor, but he started to do improv exercises. And his ratings kind of went through the roof. They were already solid, but they got even better. And what's interesting is that it creates a community within the classroom or within your even your meeting group where like I went to classes at Ohio State in computer science where it's like I know maybe three people from the classes that I went to. Like, I just did not get to know my teammates because I never had to talk to them. But by doing these improv exercises, facilitating it, one, they all connected to the larger topic. They're a great way to train the subject matter. But it also created a, an environment where it's kind of like, hey, we're a class together. We're a group together. And that completely changed the dynamics for, to your point, when you have to share something that isn't necessarily funny later it's already changed the dynamics of the room which makes it more people more willing to learn I think
0: right you know I wonder too the you know the rule of improv is kind of the yes and right Mm so we did lots of exercises when I was in theater right the the yes and and Mm -hmm. in a way it's really symbolic to me to think about that from like a philosophical perspective because if we all approached life as a yes and there'd be a lot more fun and adventure and instead of, you know, we grow out of that from children are yes-ing, yesing, yes anding like their entire existence. And then as we become, become adults, we put up a lot of walls that are self-imposed around, oh, I can't do that because of money, or I can't do that because of professional credibility, or I can't do that because it's hard, or it'll take a Tuesday, or I have this other project due or whatever. But the truth is, if we could figure out a yes-and strategy for life, uh, we'd probably all have a lot
1: more fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we 100% sh- would. And that is, uh, it's such a great observation that you've shared is that yes, and it, it's the fundamental mindset of improvisation. If you take an improv class, you'll learn yes, because it's how we make things up off the top of our head and make it seem like it makes sense. But you're exactly right that it's a great life philosophy. It's, it's absolutely transformed my life because as I've done more improv, like yes, and has become more ingrained in my nature. And if you like, people are like, okay, so how did you go from this introverted computer geek who now speaks for a living? Well, in large part, it was because of yes, and it was because of improv. And they're like, okay, well, how did you get like more comfortable uh, in small talk situations or in conversational humor? as was improv. It's like, how did you become like happier? Improv, like it was that, it was that yes and mentality because you're exactly right. It is a, it's a framework for us to kind of explore. It's how you create a growth mindset, right? If you believe kind of in Carol Dweck growth mindset, yeah. if you think of yes and, right? Failure is just data. Right? You haven't failed. You just haven't succeeded yet. So yes, this time that I tried it, it didn't work. And here's what I'm going to do differently next time. It's great for creating psychological safety. If you're like, okay, we want people to be authentic to their self and work. Well, if you know the people around you are going to say yes, and to what you bring or offer, then you're going to be more willing to be yourself. If they're always going to say yes, but then you're a little bit nervous. You don't necessarily want to share your idea fully what you're thinking. Cause you're like, maybe they're going to make fun of me or not. But if you know, they're going to say yes. And then it's like, okay, we're going to focus on on the positives, And so it's a, it's a great mindset. It's, and we even apply it when it comes to humor in your work, because the, the average person will work 90,000 hours in their lifetime. Yes. 90,000, that is a long time. It's longer than everything on Netflix. It's a tremendous <laughs> amount of time that we're going to spend in the workplace. And the yes and mentality is, yes, I'm going to work 90,000 hours, and I might as well find ways to enjoy it.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm currently in the middle. I'm on day whatever today is 18, 17 of um, 100 days of adventure. So I have challenged myself to do something new and adventurous every day. And of course, that has to be sometimes worked around work and other things. Uh, But but it's a mechanism for me to do my own yes and exercise, Mm -hmm. but also to kind of remember the gratitude of like, what are the small things that are around me that I can technically, that I have the ability to go do. Like, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just hiking in a park or, you know, sit, like giving time to read when I would have piddled around on, I don't know, whatever work or something else. Right. So I think that there's a, there is a real like power in that.
1: Um, Oh, for sure. And a, a great one, you could add to your list is to do a virtual open mic. We do a virtual open mic every Monday. So you can come and tell a story, Um, add a little bit of humor.
0: Oh boy, I'm writing it down. Uh.
1: (laughs) And it's great. And so this is what I think of, like, I I used to say that the the hardest form of public speaking, I think, is stand up. And actually, I think it's the second hardest. For me, at least personally, the hardest form of public speaking, I think, would be like a second grade classroom. (laughs) Like how second grade teachers are able to corral the energy in a wonderful way in a classroom and get kids to pay attention, I think, is I'm in complete awe of. But second to that would be stand up and what's great is that if if stand up is challenging it means that if you go and you you it's a, it's an opportunity to workshop that muscle a little bit to practice it a little bit and if you get comfortable in an open mic setting then speaking in a classroom or speaking in a meeting becomes a lot easier and it's it's just kind of partially how humor works as you you know, you, you've got to get it out there. You've got to test it. You try things and you want to kind of test it and try things in a, in a safe environment if you can. And that's why uh, Open Mic does. That's what even talking with coworkers. So maybe you don't want to do an open mic, but if you want to build your skill of humor, you might say, hey, let me talk with a coworker of mine and see, I was thinking about doing this story in my classroom later this week. Can I kind of run through it with you? Or how would you improve it? How would you change it? We do kind of group coaching or one-on-one coaching as well as that opportunity just to give feedback in some way. And then you're going to evolve that message over time. So again, if humor is a skill, it's great because one, that means it can be learned. It two means that also that we have to sometimes put a little bit of work into it to get the results that we're looking for.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to pivot just for a moment. I ask all my guests this, but what is your kind of favorite education memory? What is something that impactful about education that stuck with you?
1: Uh, There's been a lot, but perhaps I'll go to one of my first memories of it related back to uh, my brother is so my brother I feel like was born essentially a teacher, Uh, because my mom likes to tell the story like he would go he's he's a year and a half older than me, uh, about two so he's like two grades above me, and so he would he would go to school and then he would come home and teach me what he learned that day. Uh, and so my mom thinks that's, that, that's why I did well in school because I was like very academic, did well in school. And she thinks it's partly because he was teaching me stuff early on. The problem is that uh, I didn't know that he would sometimes teach me things that he learned. And then sometimes he would just make things up <laughs> and teach it to it. me as fact. And so like I got to like my mid teens thinking that there is actually something called a North American takeoff bird that in order for it to fly, it had to run for a long time on the ground just like an airplane before it could kind of take off and fly. And then same thing is when it would land, it would then have to run a really long distance. And like there was a lot of issues because of how much room they needed and all that kind of stuff. So I I just, I knew for a fact that there was this North American takeoff bird. And I would tell my (laughs) friends about it. Like, oh, have you heard about this thing or whatever? Didn't find out until later. It was just something he completely made up on a whim of himself. So uh, that's my story. He gave me a love for learning, uh, but also learning the need to fact check, I guess.
0: (laughs) I love it. And fact checking was not as easy before Google, right? right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I had no Wikipedia where I could just be like, let me see a video of North American takeoff. (laughs) There's no
0: YouTube for watching videos of this. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, So tell us a little bit about kind of how you approach, um, or maybe what might be interesting is, uh, what are some of the challenges that you've had as you work with kind of adult learners, right. In this kind of Mm -hmm. company setting, this adult learner setting, um, what are some of the challenges of maybe getting people to, to buy in or to, to let down their, their walls and how, how do you, um, overcome those?
1: Yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, there it's fascinating because as an engineer, when I started to discover the value of humor, and also see that there's actual research behind it. I like came to kind of the obvious question is like, okay, why don't people use humor more? And so we ran a study through our site just to kind of better understand it. And we found that the number one reason why people didn't use humor in the workplace was because they didn't think that their boss or coworkers would approve. Mm -hmm. And so the first barrier to get over is to recognize that, okay, humor when done well, it it doesn't make it look frivolous. It doesn't like people are worried like, wait, do, are people going to say, think that I don't take my job seriously or um, am I going to be kind of like, you know, people aren't going to consider me a leader or whatever. And so we have to get over that perception. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that in, in a study of over 700 CEOs, they found 98% of CEOs prefer job candidates with a sense of humor. In a different study of over 2000 employees, they found that 81% of employees said a fun workplace would make them more productive. And mm-hmm. so it is something that people want. It's just not always part of the norm. And so the the first barrier is kind of saying, okay, no, this is something that people want. Here's kind of starting the the what it means to do it appropriately. Because absolutely, we've all heard, heard those horror stories of you know someone telling an offensive or racist or sexist joke in the workplace, and like that's not what we're talking about, or <laughs> that's not what we um, wanted here. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Or being or the or we have maybe all met that person that doesn't know how to turn it off where it's just like you asked for something and then they give a joke response and then they're like, no, but seriously, I, I need that thing. And then they kind of give another joke response and then just leave. It's like, that's not effective either. Uh, so first of it's it's recognizing that humor is desperately, I think, not only wanted, but basically needed, especially in the current work environment with how much stress and everything that's going on. So part of it is, is overcoming that barrier. And then the biggest, uh, the second thing after that is people are like, OK, well, how do I do it appropriately? And so we spend a lot of our time of teaching that that how component of it. And part of it is reframing it from trying to be funny and just adding a little bit more fun. And then part of it is, and this is newer content. This kind of connects back to my brother as well because we were were presenting uh, at a conference together in Morocco, this was pre-pandemic. And he was talking a little bit about the rhetoric of humor. I was talking about the skill of humor. And afterwards, a a woman came up to us and she's like, I find it so fascinating that you're related because she's like, first of all, you look nothing alike, which is true. Like I, people tell me I kind of look like uh, a skinny Hugh Jackman or uh, some people say like a nerdy Neil Patrick Harris. And my brother looks kind of like Fabio or (laughs) almost like a, a hipster Jesus. Like he's got super long hair. He's taller than I am, a little bit bigger as well. Like, so we look very different. But she's like, what's fascinating, though, is your humor is so different. So she turned to my brother and she's like, your humor is very conversational, very warm. And then she turned to me and she's like, and your humor is more cold. Uh, and I think what she meant is like, my humor is very set up and punchline driven. It's very much here's what I think is going to make you laugh. Here's kind of a joke where my brother is that kind of conversational. He doesn't necessarily plan the humor, but how he does it, how he speaks is humorous. And that got us kind of exploring this idea there are different humor personas people have different humor styles and so if you can start to tap into what your natural persona is first that Mm -hmm. gets you an easier way into it like oh this thing that i already do here's how i can apply it into the workplace or into the classroom and then second because humor is a skill you can learn the other personas or you can learn the other skill sets that come with humor and then learn when and where to actually adeptly use them. And so that's where we is at that beginning, because it, it is partially just teaching people like, no, this is something that you can actually do. It doesn't, you don't have to be quote unquote, naturally funny. It's a skill that can be learned.
0: That's awesome. That's so interesting too. I never thought about that framework around personas, but it does make perfect sense. I know my own level of humor. I know what can make, I do a lot of public speaking. I know what can make audiences kind of giggle. I'm no comedian, yeah. but, but, you know, I, I use some sarcasm and, and kind of sarcasm of the obvious. So mm-hmm. captain obvious kind of thing. And that tends to work for me in terms of my persona, but I never really thought about it as a persona. Right. I just know that that's how I kind of break the ice or whatever. And I, I, I get that now. That's really interesting to your point uh, a little bit earlier too. You know, I worked with two different companies and on, uh, you know, to facilitate, and one of them was very structured pageantry. It had every slide had to look the same, every picture had to be on brand, all this stuff. And the other one, much more kind of free, free flowing. They would put in little emojis and mm-hmm. funny acronyms or not acronyms, but you know, funny uh, sayings or slangs mm-hmm. or whatever into their presentations. And the truth is the culture of each of these organizations completely reflected Non-fun mm-hmm. versus fun, right? And and the people felt, you could feel the heaviness of kind of this non-fun culture versus the lightness. And you can imagine if you're carrying a heavy burden, how much less productivity you would have yeah. if you are light and free and fun and exciting. You can, you can feel that that's what people want in their workplaces, to be not so serious all the time, right? There's a time and place to be very professional. Yeah. I mean, both of these companies were were, you know, 50 to $60 million companies. They were working with very serious clients, but they also didn't have to be always serious with each other, but one chose to be equally serious with clients or each other. And one chose to have kind of two personalities, right? And, mm-hmm. and you can see by turnover rates, by happiness factors, you know, by, by productivity, all of those things like that, it really does make a difference. Um,
1: oh, it, it does. And just because something is serious doesn't mean that it has to be somber. Right. And, and humor can actually create a greater delta change. Like if you look at uh, Nancy Duarte and uh, kind of breaking down effective speeches and things like that, and if it's whether, you know, MLKs, I have a dream, etc. Sometimes in terms of effective communication, it's a delta change of emotion. And so humor can actually be really helpful even in serious conversations because you can add a little bit of humor, levity, bring people up here. And then when you do get more serious about this very, very serious topic, the delta change in emotion makes you pay attention even more and then you can bring people out of that as well and that's something that you see comedians can kind of do very well as they can they can play along with those things and so i think you're exactly right it, it's partially an approach and the interesting kind of corollary or implication of the fact that the number one reason why people don't use humor in the workplace is because they don't think that their boss or coworkers would approve that means that if you are working in an environment where there's not a lot of humor or if your classroom doesn't have a lot of humor or your training session doesn't have a lot of humor, then it means that you're probably a big part of the reason why. Not necessarily maliciously or intentionally, but if you're not bringing levity, if you're not supporting it, if you're not encouraging it, if you're not using it yourself, then people start to think, oh, I have to be serious here. And so it can also, humor can be a great barometer of people's culture. People are like, hey, we wanna be more authentic. Well, if people aren't using humor in the workplace, there's no way that they can feel 100% authentic because humor is a human trait. Absolutely, Every human has a sense of humor. Almost every human. I I think there (laughs) might be like maybe 0.1% of people are just like not born with it, but like almost every human has a sense of humor.
0: Right. Well, and it's also to me, it's a, a, a gauge and I was trying to think of the science term, but I'll just let that go uh, of, of how, not just how authentic people are being, but how, human they're being right so like mm-hmm. I, I believe in workplaces that where we all bring our full human self and if a company can take advantage of a spherical nature of a person right if you really your their job description may have you tap into one two three but they have this four five six over here that if you really know them there might be a time where those are valuable to the organization mm-hmm. right and if you don't ever get to know people on like a human level you you'll you'll miss out on a whole bucket of talent that maybe is not part of everyday job, but might be really useful to the organization. And I feel like without a a, a fun and a um, without laughter in the workplace, without that that breaking down of barriers, that vulnerability, you'll never really get to know the human side. You'll only know them as you know employee number seventy two mm-hmm. with one two three traits, right? <laughs> um, so I just I think it's valuable for the just the human side of of work. And like you said, we spend ninety plus thousand hours. Uh, mm-hmm. At work, um, you know, some doing sometimes doing things we really love and sometimes just muddling through because it's what pays the bills. Right. So uh,
1: exactly. Well, and I think that and and not only is it going to not only are they going to do that job better because it's their strengths, right? Strength finders and all that kind of stuff of of to their strengths, but also you're going to be more engaged if you get to do it. And that's that's partially what we mean by the, the personas as well Is like, especially when you understand the personas of your team, Or the people around you, if you know, so one of the personas is like the entertainer. This is mostly what we think about of like, this is a person that likes to be in front of people, the way that they speak, people pay attention to, etc. So -hmm. if you know you have an entertainer on your team, then can you give them more opportunities to be like, hey, can you, can you be the MC or the facilitator for this meeting, and now they get to leverage that strength. Whereas if their persona is more of what might be a curator, so a curator is someone who like finds funny stuff and they're really good at kind of like, they, they're the ones that's constantly sharing memes out or they're like blowing up the group chat with the perfect gift from a pop culture thing or whatever. Right, right. It's still very valuable in the workplace. You could go to them and be like, hey, I've got a presentation coming up. I know that they're not necessarily the entertainer and that they don't want to be the life of the part. They don't want to be upfront, but could, hey, can you think of some humor that might be a good fit? And then they can be like, oh, this quotation from this comedian would be a perfect fit and now you're leveraging that strength. Now you're making them feel good about this this challenge. And also connected to that, to your point, like you're gonna have different personas depending on the context. Like the the humor that you use with your friends might be very different than the humor that you're gonna use in front of your peers, which might be very different than what you're gonna use in front of your students or in front of direct reports or in front of a potential client. And understanding that is valuable. Like that's part of understanding the skill of humor is not only how do you make people laugh and or smile, but what's appropriate in which situation.
0: Right. Right. And how do you, how would you approach, um, let's say a listener out there is, is in a, you know, a workplace and it's pretty formal. What tips would you give to someone to try to maybe ease, ease, you know, the baby step, the culture into something more fun. How do you, how do you begin that?
1: Process. Well, I do think I I completely understand like yeah, there's if if your if your workplace doesn't actively encourage humor, makes it a little bit harder. If they actively discourage humor, it makes it even harder. But oh, yeah. I do ultimately believe that you are responsible for your own happiness. And no matter what organization you work in, no one can control how you think. No one can control what you do on your own time. So I think for a lot of people a good starting point is thinking for yourself. How can I incorporate humor into what I do? How can like, even if my workday is tough, can I listen to a comedy podcast while I'm on my way home from work so that I laugh, relieve some stress and I'm now more present for my family when I get home? Right. Or can I... Um, Uh, You know, can I take a break at lunch and go for a walk and listen to some music that puts me into a positive mood or can I call up a friend or have that one coworker at work that really gets me like uh, laughing and so I can go to them when I'm feeling a little bit stressed out or even for your own work like one of the things that I'll do is if I'm reading emails and I start to get bored I'll start to read each of the emails in a different accent in my head. (laughs) <laughs> and be like, okay, what if what if this person was like Arnold Schwarzenegger that sent this to me or whatever, or Mickey Mouse or whatever. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> and it's fun. And no one can stop me from doing that. Even if I have the perfect curmudgeon of a boss, no one can come up and be like, hey, you're reading emails in an accent in your head. Stop it. <laughs> no one can prevent you from that. That's Absolutely. what I mean by a little bit of that ownership. And so I think it starts first. Can you find small ways to add a little bit of humor to your own work? And then from there, start small with, I think, intention comes into play right? If you're like, okay, let me add a little bit of something. If I'm, okay, I'm getting ready to go into a meeting and well, for myself, maybe I'm going to take visual notes. So as a way that I can stay a little bit engaged, I'm going to draw some pictures and because studies have shown like doodling while note-taking can actually keep you more engaged than not taking notes at all. Um, So you might start with that, or maybe you're the presenter. So you might say, can I start with a story or can I facilitate an improv exercise? And I did this while I was at Procter & Gamble. I was Um, you know, a project manager, but I was doing improv stuff. And I I slowly started to incorporate more. And I was like, hey, we've got an offsite coming up. Can I lead 15 minutes of icebreakers in the morning just as a way to get to know you? And Mm -hmm. I did a couple of improv exercises. And some people were like, oh, this is kind of silly, but most people liked it. So then they liked it. So then the next time we had an offsite, I was like, hey, can I lead like a 45 minute communication workshop using applied improv? And they're like, yes. Right. So it started small and it was kind of a like a small thing. So you can either ask permission or you can just start to incorporate a little bit of like, okay, in something that you own, again, not necessarily going for really funny, but going for just a little bit more fun, slowly start to introduce it, connect it to a larger purpose. Not just, I just want to say something funny for the sake of funny, but like, here's a story that relates to what I'm going to talk about today. Or here's an image that is a metaphor for the current results that we're facing or whatever it is, having it connected to that purpose then people start to recognize it not as a oh you're trying to be funny but oh that was like a really effective way to do blank right i love that yeah i do i am 100% uh
0: aligned with you on that we have to make our own uh you know that we are in control of our own emotions and actions and and how we frame our view of the world and that can change minute by minute right yep, <laughs> but also like we're we're in control of every minute of it uh sometimes we pretend we're not but uh but i love those those tips those are awesome just how to incrementally bring that joy to others or just internally to yourself um as you need to so that is wonderful well we have flown through this time and i um uh, I have enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much for being here. Before we go, tell everyone how they can get in touch with you or um, Humor That Works. I know I know you have your website, um, and I will put all that in the show notes as well. But if there's any other ways that you prefer or how they um, participate in the Monday virtual open mic, oh, Mike, um, so that's tell us right. all that.
1: Yeah. So uh, if you're interested, in, if you're listening, you're like, okay, I want to learn a little bit more about this. If you go to humor we've got a bunch of free resources there. So we've got a bunch of blog posts and a, def- a number of different topics that you can kind of explore. We also have a book that came out a couple of years ago that is kind of uh, the what, why, and how of humor in the workplace. It's called humor that works. So you can kind of check out information there. We also have events about our information about our events. So we do an open mic every Um, Monday. It's a free event where we just wanted to create a safe space for people to come and be able to share their humor. It's run by um, a woman named Tess on my team who does a fantastic job. What's great about that too is also she provides feedback. So you get feedback from an experienced comedian to be like, hey, that's a great idea. Here are some ways to explore that a little bit further. Here's some additional punchlines that you could do and include. And and some people come and they work on stand-up sets. Some people come and they share a little bit of music. Other people come and they work on a story that they want to share with their coworkers or otherwise. But it's just about creating that safe space for for practicing humor. Um, if uh, people have direct questions, they can reach out to me. Um, I'm at Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor I-N on all social media. So if people want to like you know, have a question or anything like that, they can find me on on social media. And the last thing that I'll share is, even if you don't want to do any of that, the call to action that we encourage in all of our programs is to simply try to drive one smile per hour. Uh. Think about one thing that you can do each hour of the day that brings a smile to your face or the face of someone else. And what starts to happen is you start to realize how easy it can be to incorporate just a little bit of levity of whether it's in your commute home or in a meeting or whatever, just one smile, start with that, you start to notice different ways that you can incorporate it into your work, you start to develop a humor habit, and that is how you start to kind of yes and your way I think to a more enjoyable experience, you're going to work those 90,000 hours anyways, you might as well enjoy them.
0: That's right. Oh my gosh. So this has been so wonderful. Thank you again for being here. And look forward to watching all of the great things that, uh, that you and Humor That Works continues to do.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Melanie. It was a lot of fun. Great.
0: This has been Dissecting Education with your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks. A production of In Pursuit Research. Outcomes-driven, impact-focused. Thanks, and we'll see you on another episode soon.